The scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 3, verses 1 through 15. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. If you do, you can grab it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This has been the reading of God's word. May be seated. Well, good morning. My name is David Duran and I am the church planning resident here at Doxa Church. You're going to have to excuse my voice a little bit this morning. I was up late last night yelling at the Chanticleers and cheering them on to victory. Um... But I'm, I'm glad that my yelling ended in uh, yelling in, out of joy and not despair. So just, just bear with me in my voice this morning. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will go ahead and get started. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that although you are a magnificent Mighty God, you love for and care for us, your broken and sinful creatures. God, thank you that your kindness is extended to us in the person of Christ. Father, thank, that we, thank you that we can come here this morning and worship you and commune with you. Father, I pray this morning for churches throughout the world churches in areas where believers are being persecuted for their faith. Father, I pray that you would strengthen those churches. Even now, Lord, maybe there's a church gathering for an evening service or they're preparing for a morning service somewhere. God, I pray that you would strengthen those believers. God, I pray for our own community, for churches that are gathering. God, I pray that the gospel would be preached powerfully this morning. God, I pray that souls would be saved today, Lord. 
God, I pray here for the children's ministry that is ministering to our children right now. God, I pray that you would give them, the leaders, you would give them patience, Lord, to instruct the children. Father, I pray that you would soften the children's hearts. God, I pray that we would see children in this church raised up to glorify you with their lives. Father, I pray this morning uh, for this, this sermon, God. I need your help so desperately, Father. Please help me this morning. Help me to communicate in a way that is clear. Father, help me to say things that are honoring and glorifying to you. God, I pray that you would help us to focus and place our attention on you this morning. God, there are so many distractions. There will be distractions in this place this morning. There will be distractions in our pockets. We may be uh, tempted to doze off, Lord. We may be tempted by movement in the room, but God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to focus squarely on you this morning. Father, we long and we desire to hear from you, so speak to us through your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this year in the United States alone, over 250,000 people will die as a result of complications from COVID-19. Close to 15 million Americans are battling alcohol addiction each and every day. The abuse of prescription drugs is a major concern in this country. And if you've done any research or really just spent time talking with people in our community, you know that the opioid epidemic is something that hits very close to home here on the Grand Strand. Many of us have lost people to overdose and addiction. Worldwide this year, nearly 800,000 people will die from suicide. Across the globe right now, there are between 20, these numbers are staggering, just listen to this. Across the globe right now, there are between 20 and 40 million people trapped in what is referred to as modern day slavery. I actually have a friend, he escaped from being a slave in someone's home and is now spreading the gospel to unreached people groups in Asia. And this is, this is not something that just happens overseas or in big cities across our country. You might remember that just last year, a man in Conway was sentenced to 10 years in prison because he had enslaved a man who worked at his restaurant. Friends, the reality is that brokenness Wickedness and despair come with the territory of living in a sinful world. Last week, if you remember, we began a new series specifically geared towards Advent. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at four major events in the Bible, and then we're looking at these, these events through the lens of the incarnation of Christ. Basically, what we're doing is we're looking and we're seeing how Jesus, he changes the story. If you're new to church or maybe you grew up in a Christian tradition where Advent wasn't talked about or it wasn't really emphasized, you should know that Advent is a season that takes place in the four weeks prior to Christmas where we anticipate the arrival of Christ. And during this season, our 
our focus is not only on the reality of Christ's birth, but we also think about and we remember that Jesus is going to come again. Jesus came as a helpless baby, born in a stable and laid in a manger, but he's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This season of Advent, it brings joy and it brings hope for us as Christians because we remember that Christ came and he's going to come again. But if we look at the world around us, it may seem like there just aren't a lot of reasons for hope. I shared those sobering statistics with you a minute ago because in a very small way, I think it shows some of the realities of living in a fallen world. I think we, we all experience this temptation where we try to, to block out and we try to forget about the reality of sin and the reality of brokenness in our world. We don't, we don't want to be reminded of how messed up this world really is. But here is what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at the story in Genesis 3 that we read just a minute ago. And I hope, and this is my prayer, I've been praying this all week. I hope that we'll see how the brokenness that we feel and that we observe, how this brokenness creates a profound sense of longing within us for all things to be made right. I want us to see how God's story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ changes the story of the fall. And even within the narrative of the fall, we see God immediately providing hope for his people. But before we look at our passage this morning, let's take just a second and let's set the scene for what's going on here. Remember last week, we started this series by looking at creation. And there's a lot of important things for us to remember about creation. If you didn't get a chance to watch or to listen to that sermon, I really encourage you to do so. But one thing that's really important for us to remember in light of what we're going to talk about this morning is that God called all of his creation very good. The world as it is now is not as it was intended to be. It was originally created good. It was originally created perfect. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So what happened? How did we go from a, a very good and a, a perfect creation to the world that we now live in? Well, Genesis 3, it gives us the answer. Adam and Eve were the first human beings created by God, and they were placed in a world that was very good. There was, however, one restriction that was placed upon them. You see, this restriction, it was given to Adam, and it was his responsibility to make sure that Eve understood this as well. We didn't read this, but back in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it's important for us to hear this. <clears throat> it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Just one prohibition here from God to man. Adam and Eve were free to eat of any tree in the garden except one. It was a perfect creation with a perfect union between God and humanity. What could possibly go wrong here? Enter the serpent. The great deceiver, the devil himself would come seeking to get between the soul of humanity and God. And he does this by placing lies in the place of truth. Satan would suggest that God is somehow withholding something from his children. Look again at verses four and five with me. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan, he is using his lies to cause Adam and Eve to question the character of God. The God with whom they've enjoyed perfect fellowship and communion with, who has lovingly created and provided for them. Adam and Eve, they have bought the lie that God is holding out on them. So they take the forbidden fruit and they eat. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The moment that Adam and Eve decided that they would disobey God's command, sin entered the world. Death, destruction, and chaos are the result of a world marred by sin. And when God said that Adam and Eve would surely die on the day that they ate from the tree, he wasn't just talking about them. He was talking about all of humanity. Each of us, we are born into sin as a result of the fall. Friends, the reality of the fall is both physical and spiritual death. When God told Adam and Eve that they would surely die, this was so much more than just a physical death. In fact, the, the spiritual death would be the greater concern. Remember what we looked at in Romans earlier this year, and we're gonna pick that series up after Christmas, but remember back in Romans 5, verse 12, where Paul, Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That is the very bad news this morning. The fall is the reason for where we find ourselves today. The cost of sin it wreaks havoc on all of our lives and on this world. And church, the essence of sin, this is important, the essence of sin is to put our own judgment and our own wisdom above God's divine command. When we sin against God, we are essentially saying this. We're saying, God, I know better than you on this one. 
We might even be believing the same uh, lie that Adam and Eve did. The lie that God is withholding something good for us in the commands that he gives. I see this exact same principle worked out in a smaller way um, in the parenting of my children. Oftentimes when my children disobey me, it's because they think I am withholding something from them. When I tell my four-year-old daughter to only eat one piece of cake instead of five at the birthday party, it's not because I'm withholding something from her. When I tell my two-year-old not to jump off the couch onto the living room floor, which she loves to do, it's not because I'm withholding something from her. I do this because I love them and I don't want them to experience the negative effects of something that wouldn't be good for them. Like a good father, God directed Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree because he knew the effects of their disobedience would be devastating. It was through their disobedience that sin would enter the world. The disease of sin has brought destruction to our bodies and to our world. And there is not one nation, one family, or one individual who is free from the disease of sin. Look what happens the moment that Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's two important things for us to see right there in that verse. First, we see that an awareness of sin brings shame. The serpent's promise of opened eyes, it did in fact come true. Just not in the way that our first parents expected. Adam and Eve expected to become like God. They expected that they would become wise. Instead, what happened is they became aware of their own nakedness. And in their shame, Adam and Eve, they try to cover themselves up. They try to make things right in their own strength. Adam and Eve respond to the shame brought on by an awareness of sin in the same way that humanity does today. We try to fix things ourselves. We think that through our attempts at, at good deeds or in our own strength or however it is we might believe, we think that we can make things right on our own. The truth, of course, is that we cannot make things right. We cannot atone for our own sin. You see, an awareness, an awareness of sin is a good thing. In seeing the way that, that sin is destructive and corrupting, um, when we see that, that, that comes from the wrong things that we do, when we put all that together, that's a really good thing. The question is, how do we respond when we feel brokenness over sin? How do we respond when we know that we've blown it? How do we respond when we've messed up again? Look at how Adam and Eve respond, but pay even closer attention to how God responds. Excuse me, to how God responds here. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves 
from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? What a beautiful picture this is here of God's love and the initiative that he takes in pursuing his people. Adam and Eve, they run and they hide from God. But God is the one who calls out to Adam. God gives Adam a chance to repent, even there in verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God here gives Adam an opportunity to repent. But instead of repentance, Adam tries to pass the blame on to Eve. Yet even in the midst of all of this, God continues to pursue his people. Church, God is the one who called out to us while we were running and hiding from him. God is the one who took the initiative. God's first words to fallen humanity here are not words of judgment and condemnation. Instead, what do we see? We see words of grace. God seeks to draw rather than drive Adam and Eve out of hiding. The loving and gracious character of God, it is on full display here. The God of the Bible, he's not looking to to smite those who have rejected him. He's not hunting people down, looking to punish them. He still seeks to draw sinners like you and me out of hiding. Friends, the fall of mankind into sin has had disastrous effects on humanity and on the entire world. But the good news The fantastic news for us to remember this morning is that God has dealt with the problem of sin in the human heart. Even as early as Genesis 3, we see the promise of a Savior. Did you catch that when we were reading it? We see the promise of a Savior even in Genesis 3. Let's look again at what God says to the serpent here in verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Friends, right here in Genesis 3.15, we see the first glimmer of the gospel. Like the sun that's rising over the ocean, right here we see the first glimmer of Christ. The he that God is referring to here is Jesus, the Messiah. In the story of the fall, we see the reality of the incarnation. Jesus is the one who would bruised the head of the serpent on the cross. Jesus is the one who would triumph over evil. Brothers and sisters, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. And although we still live in a fallen and broken world, we can know peace and joy in our hearts because 
God took the initiative in sending his son to the earth to restore his relationship with his people. Jesus and the incarnation change the story of the fall. Jesus, he changes the trajectory of history and he can change the trajectory of your life. When we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ and his perfect sacrifice on the cross, our union with God is restored. And unlike our first father, Adam, Jesus, he withstood the temptation of the deceiver. If you read the accounts of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, you see Satan's strategy there was no different than what he did to Adam and Eve. He tried to twist the word of God in an attempt to deceive Christ. But where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Christ's obedience is the answer for our disobedience. Jesus is the answer to our deepest problem. Friends, the deepest problem that each of us have is that we have been separated from God by sin. And the root of our separation we see right here in our passage this morning. Remember that sin isn't just the bad things that we do. Sin, it's at our very core. Sin is what causes us to suppress the truth and to remain in darkness. And it's only through Christ that we can undergo the necessary heart transplant and be restored to God. Oh, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're watching online this morning and you're not a Christian, the good news of the gospel is that we can have our relationship with God restored. Our sin can be forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty on the cross. Just this past week, I was talking with a 59-year-old man who described himself as a Jewish atheist up until he was 46 years old. And then when he was 46, he heard the gospel for the very first time and he received Christ as his Savior. He didn't even hear the gospel till he was 46 years old. And he wasn't, some, he wasn't from an unreached people group on the other side of the world. He lived right here in the United States. Well, that man, he's, he, he's received Christ and he's now leading a church as a pastor. And I share that story with you just to, to tell you there's never a, a wrong time to receive the gospel. It's never too late. It doesn't matter what your background is or where you come from. You can receive Christ as your savior. And if you're here this morning, and you've never trusted in Christ, today can be the day where that changes. Please don't leave here this morning without talking to myself or talking with someone else about Jesus if you don't already know him. Friends, the reality of the fall, it affects more than just our relationship with God. It affects every part of our world. Our relationships with others our own bodies, our minds, they suffer because of the fall. Even the creation groans, Paul tells us in Romans 8. It groans and longs for the day when all things will be made right. As Christians, though, we already have a foretaste of future glory. We know that our, our final redemption is one day coming. 
The Holy Spirit that dwells within us, it provides for us the assurance that God is with us and that God will be with us forever. I'm confident there are times when all of us, we look at the world around us and we wonder, how long, oh Lord? How long, Father? We see the pain and the brokenness and we wonder, how long, oh Lord, till you make all that is wrong right? None of us know the answer to that question. But friends, we can be confident that that day is coming. One day Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. No more crying, no, no more pain. Jesus will make all things right. When we look at, at the world or we experience times of despair in our own hearts, we should remind ourselves, when we see, we remember the reality of living in a broken world. But let's not forget the promise of the Savior. Let's not forget Christ's first coming. And let's not forget that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming to make all things right. He's coming to make all things new. And on days when you wake up and you feel like I have absolutely no reason to have joy, I have no reason to have hope, remind yourself the king is coming. The king is coming and he will make all things right. The bad news is that sin and brokenness plague the world that we live in. There's no use trying to deny this Pretending like this isn't the case, we can't just stick our, he our head in the sand and pretend like everything is fine. But instead of being overwhelmed by brokenness, again, let's remember the good news. Jesus has come and he's coming again. It would be so easy for us to feel down and to feel discouraged this Christmas season. This year has been a year unlike any other. And I know many of our, our traditions that we normally do this time of year, they're on pause or they've been put off altogether. This is a strange, strange time. And if you didn't already know this, this year has proven to us just how unstable and broken this world is. But as Christians, we do not have to be people who grieve without hope. Jesus changes the story because he provides the hope and he provides the victory. Our first parents fell when they ate of the fruit from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from. But now our hope and our victory come from looking towards, looking towards and eating from the second tree. 1 Peter 2.24. It's a wonderful verse. It's talking about Jesus. It says, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In just a moment here, we're going to celebrate and we're going to take communion. And we do this every Sunday when we gather. And when we take communion, we're reminded of the perfect 
sacrifice that Christ offered on our behalf when his blood was shed on the cross. And in light of what we've looked at this morning, let's also remember that God is the one who takes the initiative in restoring his perfect union with us. Though we wrestle with sin and though we wrestle with disobedience, God continues to pursue us. The good shepherd, he seeks after his sheep. And when we take communion, we remember not only that Jesus has come and that he shed his blood for us, but we remember that he is coming again. And even this morning, as we take communion together, the spirit of Christ is here in this place. It doesn't matter that we're socially distanced. It doesn't matter that service, the way it flows, is a little bit different than it did before. Christ's spirit is here with us. Church, let the brokenness that you see in this world only serve to create a greater longing within you to see Christ return. He will make all that is wrong and broke. He will restore all that is wrong and broken in this world. He's going to restore our broken bodies. Creation will no longer groan under the weight of sin. That day is coming. Now this communion meal that we're going to take, it's only for those who are professing believers in Jesus Christ. And while this, this meal is not for those who are outside of the faith, that doesn't mean that this time cannot be meaningful and important for you if you're not a Christian. Here's a question that I want you to consider this morning. What is your hope in? What are you counting on in this life? I promise you that Jesus, he is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your faith. He's worthy of all your affection. He will satisfy, he will fulfill the deepest longings of your heart. The brokenness that we see, it does not have to lead to despair. It doesn't have to lead to a feeling of helplessness. Instead, and this is my prayer, this is really just a one-point sermon. This is, this is the point of everything. I, I pray and I hope that brokenness can lead to a longing within us and, and a, a, a longing and a trust that one day all things will be made right. And I hope that this Advent season, that sense of longing will be present in our hearts. I'm gonna pray and then uh, as you feel led, you can come up and receive communion. There's going to be people here at the front. And again, as you feel led, you can make your way to the front and you can receive communion. So let's, let's pray together and then we'll continue in worship. Father, thank you that the day is coming when all that is wrong will be made right. Father, thank you that we get a foretaste of this in knowing you and receiving you as, as our Savior and trusting in you. Father, I pray for all of us that as we come to the end of a difficult year and we wrestle with the reality of sin and brokenness, Lord, I pray that these things will only serve to create a deeper longing in us for you. Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly. 
Father, we pray that you would restore our broken world. Father, thank you that we can have fellowship with you through the person of Christ. And God, I pray now as we come and take communion that we'll remember your perfect sacrifice on the cross. We'll remember that you are here with us and we'll remember that you are coming again. We love you, Lord Jesus. Bless the rest of this time of worship for your glory and for our joy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.